Um, new developments on this. We've talked about this before. It's been a while. Um, and we've talked primarily with the University of Saskatchewan researcher, but it's expanding now. Um, magic mushrooms really having a, a bit of a moment. There are even some dispensaries that are popping up in some Canadian cities. Toronto, I think Vancouver too. Uh, and there's also a pretty active campaign to make mushrooms the next legalized drug in Canada. But while that debate carries on, researchers are also continuing to explore some pretty promising results that they have found in treating primarily mental health issues with these hallucinogenics. And a new study into microdosing has been launched at the University of Toronto. So we're going to find out about that. We're going to speak with um, Rotem Petranker, who is the person actually doing this study is the director of the Canadian Centre for Psychedelic Science and Associate Director of the Psychedelic Studies Research Program at the University of Toronto. Uh, Rotem, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And let's just go through it. This, this trial, it's, just, it's kind of interesting to me. I wonder how you put something like this together. So give us the parameters of, of the trial that you've, you've launched. Sure. So we originally were actually interested in uh, seeing whether microdosing, which is the practice of taking very small subhallucinogenic doses of substances like magic mushrooms or LSD, we wanted to see if those have an effect on creativity, on productivity, you know, the a lot of the more flourishing aspects. But unfortunately, um, we were not able to do that because Health Canada were concerned that these are potentially dangerous substances. And so they wanted us to have... Um, sorry, a population that has um, some kind of a disorder. So we were looking initially for people with persistent depressive disorder, mm-hmm. constant low mood, but people appear to be quite a bit uh, more depressed than that. So we switched recently, just this week, uh, our diagnosis to people who have major depressive disorder. Um, how do you go about putting together the the study itself? Like, first of all, where do you get the mushrooms? We do have licensed providers in Canada, right? Yeah, so there are a few uh, a few companies that are able to provide the substance uh, in a way that is uh, compliant with a variety of regulations. I am using the services of a co- company called Filament out of British Columbia. They're wonderful. In terms of getting the 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 dosage, I mean, is that sort of is it specific to each individual user? Is it a, a bit of trial and error to get it to the right? How does that work? That's an excellent question. And honestly, if we had an answer for that, we would be a lot smarter. But uh, unfortunately, psychedelics don't really follow the kind of response curve that most substances uh, follow. So, you know, if I'm a smaller person and I drink a certain amount of alcohol, I'm probably going to get drunker than a larger person. But that is not at all the way it is with psychedelics. We don't know how to predict that yet. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And I think it's probably about some psychological uh, makeup. So we don't know, but yeah, what we do is we can't, we give everyone the same dose because we don't know yet, and we hope that it's a small enough dose so that they don't really know that they took it, but large enough to have an effect. That's the thing. Like you're you're not looking to get people um, tripping, for lack of a better word, right? You want a dose where they aren't actually feeling any psychoactive effects that they're aware of. That's exactly right, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, and I don't think we have enough time for me to go over all of them, but I think a couple that are worth mentioning is, first of all, there are a lot of people out there that would really could really use uh, could really use the, the benefits, benefits of uh, psychedelics and simply cannot for whatever medical condition that they have. 
Uh, and so they would potentially have access to microdosing at the very least. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the other reason is just the feasibility of it is so much higher because you don't need to necessarily have a therapist on hand at all times. People aren't, as you said, tripping. It's just another day. Um, and so it's much more easy to run larger studies, more participants, and we can really um, get the word out there. Now, I've read, and I'm, obviously you're well aware that there's a lot of really positive and, and interesting things that we've been hearing about the effects of these mushrooms and the psychedelic properties and how it can really change people's lives, especially people suffering from certain mental health disorders. Um, obviously, that's sort of what you're trying to build upon? Exactly. So people, I've, I started this work doing uh, online surveys just to see what people were reporting, and people really told me so many benefits that they were experiencing from uh, microdosing. And it was almost a little too good to be true. Uh, we did also ask about the downsides because I think there's kind of a lot of hype right now and yeah. people are focusing only on the benefits and not so much on the drawbacks. And those exist for sure. And what? I don't think that we should downplay those. Nah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's really important to point out. And, and because you're talking about the difference between, like you're saying, microdosing and then some of the other effects that uh, can be, like you say, we can't downplay the, the negative aspect that does exist here. Mm, yeah, absolutely. What what specific conditions do you think might see the most you know, benefit from this? What are you targeting with your research? So, yeah, so we're targeting major depressive disorder, which is something that has never been tried with microdosing, but has seen quite uh, large effect sizes with large doses. So I'm quite hopeful for that. Um, there, there, there's a lot of promise for a variety of other mental health conditions, but not just mental health conditions. Um, there's some hope for Alzheimer's disease, uh, for other neurodegenerative uh, diseases, for inflammatory conditions, for pain. Really, the, it's really important to remember, I think, that the research is in its infancy, and we're just taking our baby steps here. I wanted to ask you about that, because in terms of this research, I mean, I don't know necessarily where magic mushrooms fit into this, but there was a time where psychedelics really had a moment prior, you know, back to the 70s, Timothy Leary and all that sort of stuff, and they really had a thing going there, too, in universities and people doing a lot of research and a lot of studies. Does any of that apply to what we're trying to learn today, or is that a completely different realm that just doesn't relate anymore? That is a matter of opinion. Uh, My opinion is that we're not learning enough from the efforts and mistakes that were made in the previous wave because a lot of that could translate. But at the same time, it's really important to remember that science has progressed leaps and bounds yeah. in the last 50 years. So the methods that were state-of-the-art back then are now just scoffed at. So at the very least, I think that we need to be making an effort to replicate the results that were found in the first wave of psychedelics. Some people are doing that, some people less so. You mentioned that it's being held up in a lot of ways, like you couldn't do exactly what you wanted to do because of certain restrictions from Health Canada. How far down that road have we gone? Because I know in some instances they've made special exemptions. How far are we from being to a point where we can actually do a, a good, fulsome study on this? A good, fulsome study? Oh, I think we're we're there. We're doing it. Health Canada has been quite cooperative and indeed sometimes enthusiastic in approving uh, clinical trials that satisfy all their regulations. And I completely appreciate that they want to be cautious uh, and protect uh, p- participants. Uh, I think in terms of broader um, kind of for, for everyone to have access, I think that will take quite a bit longer. There has been in the last few years, there's been the special access program that now allows for people with 
uh, that satisfy certain conditions, um, such as having an incurable ailment that uh, they've tried many different therapies for and nothing seems to be working, then Health Canada may approve a special access program for those individuals. How important is it that you're getting somebody with some sort of professional qualifications to help you with this? I mean, I'm getting texts from people saying, hey, I order these capsules over the Internet and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, is this the kind of thing that we should be doing on our own or do we need to have some professional therapeutic guidance through this? Again, a matter of opinion. Um, there's not sufficient evidence to actually um, respond in terms of facts. I can tell you it's my opinion is that therapy is extremely important and that certain adverse events could occur, especially when taking large doses, uh, where it could be damaging if you don't have yeah. any qualified mental health professional around. I would not advise people to just do that on their own. Well, Rotem, like you say, I mean, even just determining what a microdose is for each person is is an inexact science that takes a bunch of work. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine somebody just ordering it off the Internet what they assume to be a microdose, right? I mean, there's a lot that needs to go into that. Absolutely. And sometimes people have unpleasant uh, days where they thought they took a microdose and then it turns out that it was actually a larger dose. At least that's how they experience it. And then they can't work. They can't take care of their kids. They can't drive. Um, so, yeah, I think if people do decide to take on this kind of practice, I would at least advise everyone to start low. What about your study? How, how long is this going to run and what uh, what will you do with the results? So we are currently uh, screening participants, and we will be running at least until January, although we are uh, kind of running out of funds, so this is a great place for me to mention. We have a GoFundMe page, so if folks want to look that up, you can look up my name, Rotem Petranker, and microdosing GoFundMe. And I, we very strongly believe that whatever data we collect belongs to the public. Um, and so we practice what's called open science, which means that uh, we pre-register all of our hypotheses and then we share all of our data with the public. Anyone who wants to read anything that I've written can reach out and I will email them my papers. Um, and we really hope that ultimately this will aid in our policymakers' ability to really uh, decide about which laws should pass and which shouldn't. We hope that this will help uh, clinicians and the general public, which, as you said, people are already ordering yeah. the stuff online. So at least we will be able to uh, give some information, some education about how to best do it. Yeah, exactly. More information around something, like you say, people are already doing. Arotem, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.